Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone is having an amazing, amazing day today. We got so much going on today. So, so much going on. But good morning. It's Thursday, January 12th, and today is National Pharmacist Day. It's National Marzipan Day, whatever the hell that is. National Curry Chicken Day. And, of course... Gretchen, that's right. It is National Kiss a Ginger Day. Thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms, especially right here on YouTube. We're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented. Without further ado, we're going to pay a quick bill real quick and get right back to the news. You want to grow some of the best weed in the world? Then you must start with the best genetics in the so world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagenetics.sh to see why our terps don't lie. Oh, yeah. Rico, what's going on with your lighting? What you got? You in a blackout over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you. That is Looks really like the power is out of your I'm house. I'm going to switch the camera. What's that? I'm going to switch the camera. Looks like, you're, uh, like your power's out over there. Better? There we ah, go. Ah, there you go. There we go. go. Now you're uh, Now we can see you. you I mean. yeah. <laughs> there's going to be some rain. Gotta yes. be some pain, but as long as I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome Here back, we everybody. Go. You are now, can you guys hear me okay? Right. Yep. Welcome back, everybody. You are now tuned in to High at Nine News. Thanks for joining us, not only to get High at Nine with us, but also High Noon on the East Coast. I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. And today is Thursday, January 12, 2023. <laughs> Also, National Pharmacist Day, Pharmacist Day. So be sure you take time out to thank the real ones you've been provided drugs to by, and who have provided drugs to your community over the years, legally or illegally. National Curry Chicken Day, also an international day of mourning for buttholes, and also Kiss a Ginger Day. Yep, that's right. And I pray safety of Gretchen Gailey. I hope she's packing heat like the real conservative Southern girl would be that she mm -hmm. pretends to be daily. Everybody out there watching, please remember to like, share, follow us on the High and Nine News across all social media platforms and beat that subscribe button down like the cops. We are live on weekdays on YouTube and Twitch, audio only on Clubhouse. And if you choose the Clubhouse route, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief question or comment on the story presented. We'll get started. Uh, things started here in just a few seconds, but first we have a message from our sponsor. No, we're just no, we've already done it. We've oh, already shit. done the sponsor. We've already done the sponsor part, bro. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, come on, bro. Get with the program. <laughs> Get a program, dude. Yeah, All right. Exactly, so yeah. Well, uh, first we'll say that on the football field. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Mink Co. wearing private jet hopping, Green Street wheeling and dealing, longest continuously operating retailer in the game when he's not holding down presidential cannabis tourism meetings and duties in his own backyard in West Hollywood. He can spot it daily by TMZ, pop politic and across the globe with world leaders in London, Mar-a-Lago and Detroit. We're all of them everywhere. They call them White Gucci, Gucci Blanco and El Presidente. Coming to the stage first, smoking on the best we the world, Jason Beck. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for that, Rico. That was a fantastic introduction this morning. And today, my news, you guys are going to love this story, okay? I cannot wait to tell you guys about this. Because New York, where's New York City's second marijuana dispensary will be located and when it will be open. It's talking about being legal to go go buy pot in this old Chase Bank in Union Square they're talking about in New York when everyone is just standing outside selling weed. Nearly two weeks after the state's first adult use marijuana dispensary opened up in New York City, another one is set to open. This time it will be in Union Square. It's called the Union Square Travel Agency. That's the most ridiculous name. And it will open up in an old Chase Bank near the Union Square subway station. It's set to have its soft opening on February 13th. Of the proceedings, 51% will go to the DOE Fund, D-O-E Fund. I don't want people thinking it's the Dow Fund, which provides housing, career training, and counseling to marginalized people living in New York City. The first legal dispensary for adult use uh, cannabis in New York opened on December 28th in Manhattan with 4,400 square foot corner building at Broadway and Astor Place, which used to be a Gap store. It marked a long-awaited launch of a marijuana industry that could become one of the country's most lucrative. It already is lucrative. Uh, it wasn't immediately clear what items the Union Square shop would be selling at the city's uh, other dispensary, the Housing Works Cannabis Company. Customers can find a range of prices of products from $20 for, some e for, for an edibles container <laughs> for an edibles container to a flower or plant, which you can roll into a joint for between $40 to $95. Cannabis vape kits will also sell for around $95 as well. Governor Kathy Hochul announced on December 21st that Housing Works, a minority-controlled nonprofit in Manhattan that serves people with HIV and AIDS, would be the first of 36 recently licensed dispensaries to begin selling cannabis to the general public. Even though dozens of illegal shops have been op just dozens have been operating for many months. In the coming months, the state is expected to issue an additional 139 licenses with about 900 applicants waiting to, to learn their fate. The state reserved its first round of retail licenses for applicants with marijuana convictions or their relatives, plus some nonprofit groups that also planned a $200 million public-private fund to aid social equity applicants, but yet no one can find where that money is at and what is going on in New York. I'm going to digress for a minute, and this is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News Hour. What do you guys think? Are you guys going to go to the second store in New York? Or has New York's bubble already bursted? The bubble hasn't burst, but um, it's going to be a long time before they get things right. Sure, it's not like a oozing pimple. It's pretty gross. I'm yeah, it's saying. like it's like uh, official too old, poorly held outdoor at the uh, legal stores, or like the best of the best, freshest trap weed on the on on the planet available on any plastic lifetime table anywhere outside your choice yeah that's that's what i'm saying i'm going for yeah. the plastic lifetime it's just table. quality man like everybody keeps talking taxes and keeps talking all this shit but man it's just quality if you got quality yeah. weed it doesn't matter what the price is bro you're gonna sell all of it that part i believe that part hallelujah really? yeah we, we we do have nicole bufong up from the audience what do you have to say hey. about this nicole hey good morning team good morning um i will not be buying cannabis in times square no, um, I don't buy my food in Times Square. <laughs> I don't shop at Sephora in Times Square. Um, so I definitely will not be buying my cannabis in Times Square. Um, I'm going to be looking for shops that are probably in Harlem um, and black owned, mm. which I'm sure mm -hmm. this one in Times Square is not. Right. It is. Isn't it Union, Union Square? Union Square, or is Union it Square. Whatever. Sorry. Whatever Sorry. square it is, they're, they're squared up. Square the fuck up. Uh, 
regardless of where this place is located, and I hear exactly what you're saying, Nicole, it's still a good thing to see that this market is moving forward. It is opening stores, despite what Jason Beck thinks, and despite him not owning up to any of the bets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, it's a good Got thing. Got your $100 right here, Greg. <laughs> still, still. <laughs> <laughs> 12 days people 12 yeah. days and, and i think <laughs> it must be all the rain you're absolutely right Gretchen. it's good to see that it is becoming a mainstream thing um but i'm still interested in trying to understand how they're going to shut down all of the illegal dispensaries that look like quite legit dispensaries in new york um how they're going to shut all those down to allow the legal market to come in and thrive that's going to be interesting. Well, and I have a question, and I'm not yeah. as up on the New York market. Maybe you know, Nicole. Um, are all of them required to be doing some type of charitable donation, giving back? Because I find it all odd of the nonprofits. The all the nonprofits are required. All the nonprofits. So all the nonprofits yes, all the nonprofits. Yeah, fifty-one percent is owned by their nonprofit, and fifty-one percent of revenues will be funneled into that nonprofit. And how many are nonprofits? Um, I'm not sure the exact number, uh, how many nonprofits they were going to issue licenses to. I know there was a number of nonprofits that um, if I was going to take a guess, I'd just say probably around 100, 120. Jason, that's, you think that's, that's a, that's a guess. That's a total guess. Is that a model for success? Okay. No. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a model for distress. And I'm willing to bet that a bunch of these so-called stores that are opening that Gretchen is celebrating will not be open five years from now. How many? What, well, what percentage? What percentage that, about, that, about all businesses, restaurants, all sorts of things don't stay open, but at least they're getting there. They're trying. They're making a start. So don't be a hater, me, Jason. It's I'm, too I'm not being a hater. I'm being a realist. You're Just being a realist. Whatever. Just hate. saying. Hate. It's, it's not hate. I'm they, they, they hate the truth, Jason. They hate the truth. They yeah, hate they, of course they do. They don't. They don't like reality because they want to live in this this little circle jerk. They're like, hey, look at us. We opened up a store, and hey, uh, look at we're selling weed. When you have real social equity outside on a card table word. selling weed, you want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, exactly. But you That's know what? The real you, social you, equity you is outside on the street. Today Straight up, bro. So you win. You know, the genie's out oh, of the bottle. New York's this one. a massive market, and there will be people buying from the secondary market. There will be people buying from the uh, from the new dispensaries that open. There's, I mean, there's going to be legitimate and and uh, and secondary sales, and it's going to be massive and amazing. I mean, there's a gajillion people here. <laughs> Hold on, Dr. Uh, Dr. Mary. It's just getting started. Dr. Mary, you're on the ground there. Have, yeah. have you gone to see the new dispensary, yeah. the one that's at least open so far? You Did you buy some me? overpriced dried no, out weed? I've been, <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been staying close to home and working on my ketamine clinic project, and you know, uh, and taking care of my dog oh, and dinner. I really have not. Been, you've been going in the K hole, yeah. huh? K, yeah. It's, uh -huh. it's, it's. I've been in a K hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's Q it's Q one, and everybody is focused on getting your business organized for the remainder of the year. At least that's what I do during Q one. So I haven't had a uh, chance to step out much. I think I am gonna have a few meetings next week out of the house though and so that'll be fun Start but yeah i mean i think there i think there's there's just no i mean not everybody is going to buy from a secondary market they're just not going to feel comfortable and then uh and and so it expands the audience that's going to be purchasing and thinking about using cannabis and they're going to need to learn how to use it and feel confident about their products so i'm totally excited about what's happening in new york I mean, Dr. Mary, I got to be, be serious about this, okay? If you're in New York, the cost of living is already extremely exorbitant, okay? And people mm -hmm. are, are penny pinching just for, for, for normal, uh, normal daily, um, their, their daily necessities. If you had the choice and you had $100, are you going to go? And, you, and that's your $100 to go and buy weed. Are you going to go to a store where they're going to charge you $100 for an eighth? Or are you going to go to the streets where you can probably get maybe two or three eighths for that 100 bucks? What are you going to do? Well, right. I mean, are you are you going to compromise a, everything that you've worked for to to you know, to save a couple of bucks? And, how are you uh, compromising and, and anything? Perform a criminal activity? Jason, that's not that's not a criminal saying. activity. There's no one going to jail for buying weed. So so how are you going to compromise yourself? Jason, I hear what you're saying about price. However, basic economics. If you, 
easy killer. What about <laughs> the mom or someone who wants to buy legal weed, at least something that they can trust has been tested See, before they give it to this a is, medical this is, patient? This is actually what? where I was going with this question, nobody, and that's why I was asking it to Dr. Mary. That's why I was asking it to yeah, Dr. I mean, Mary. Nobody, nobody cares about saving 20 bucks on Manhattan. I mean, I pulled up uh, a few days. I actually did leave and came back in a car. And when I pulled <laughs> up in front of my apartment, there were three Range Rovers out front. And there was a Mercedes in front of one of the Range Rovers. I mean, it, there's just so much money in Manhattan that I, I don't think anybody is looking to save 20 bucks. I mean, if you're disabled and, and, and a home grow candidate, you know, that that's, that's a problem in Manhattan, but, mm -hmm. um, but they, but you know, I don't, I don't, they, they don't live, you know, anywhere near both of these, uh, both of these dispensaries, you know, these dispensaries are for the anxious mom who wants to have half a gummy before she goes to sleep. And, uh, and they're going to serve that community. Well. So, so the, so basically what you're saying is that this market is for the stiletto stoners. Stiletto stoners. Stiletto. Yes. Pumps. Mm -hmm. I don't really know why anybody goes to a dispensary when you can get the Delta 9 THC derived from hemp delivered to your home. In oh, the mail. there you goes know, that Delta 8 plug. I mean, <laughs> hate. Yeah, I mean that, that's the real. Peer, 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 peer. Well, yeah, exactly. But Delta 9. Why, I mean, why, why pay those exorbitant taxes for no reason? Exactly. Really? I, pay those I really wonder where. I wonder that all the time, yeah. too, Dr. Mary. I'm glad you said that and wasn't me. I'm just agreeing. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. What you got to say about that, Gretchen? I got to say, pay? we got to keep moving if you're going to hear from the rest of us. <laughs> this is to Gretchen. Oh, is man, Gretchen. that was good. That was good. Thank you so much for that. Uh, coming up next, it is the dope dad himself. That's right. Rico Lameet. When he is babysitting, you can quite often find him doing dad types of things braiding hair having tea parties but making sure that he teaches his daughter to any time that you have a tea party that you always sip your tea with your pinkies up that's right he also has to teach grown-ass adults that generally when he serves them coffee and tea and crumpets at a tedx <laughs> convention in the waiting room that's right he always with the pinkies up that's right. It is the dope dad himself, Rico Meat. Thank you so much, Jason. Definitely appreciate that. Um, and I would like to say that tea parties at our house, they stay lit. The like tea party is at your house. Dude, tea parties stay lit, man. South Central tea parties. Think about it. All right. So my story today is from MJ Biz Daily by Chris Roberts. <clears throat> Marijuana firm's main funders of recent legalization efforts overtaking advocacy groups so reported uh, so reported cannabis companies provided nearly all of the money behind the five legalization initiatives in last november's midterm elections uh, representing a dramatic shift from a decade ago when marijuana reform's principal bankrollers were advocacy groups and wealthy individuals are the days of bottom-up, people-funded, activist-driven, grassroots, organized campaign for legalization, are those days behind us? I thought I had permanently left corporate America for cannabis in 2016. My friends, family, and colleagues all thought that the cancer scare pushed me temporarily off the deep end, and they all swore I'd be back as quick as I left. Seven years later, still in this shit, still standing with the people, and still doing my part to expose the systemic hypocrisy in corporate capitalism. But I got to admit, shit done changed a lot since then. A lot. Prior to making the move official that year, cannabis uh, already saved my life twice. First round, kept food on my table, clothes on my back, and a roof over my head. I don't matter how many top degrees, rich boosters, and screaming fans were in the student section yesterday when you're a homeless drug addict breaking into cars for spare change today. I pushed PAX post-graduation in Chicago to move out the back seat of my Chevy Monte, Car Monte Carlo as an injured, failed NFL prospect, chewed up and spat out by the NCAA. They called me a student athlete. Emphasis on student first. Brainwashed me to believe it was a privilege to be college educated and okay for them to build world-class stadiums and new buildings on campus off me and my teammates' sacrifices without us ever seeing a penny of that profit. Round two, six years into my career in finance. Your boys' pockets were fat as fuck, but any and everybody who knew the real Rico knew that I sold out for a check. I said, fuck them. 
They ain't go through what I went through. And for the first time in my life, people called me successful. Being the fake behind the fake smiles, tailored suits and Gucci shades, I was quietly losing the battle to addiction and in a dark place mentally and emotionally. A chance intervention on a work trip to L.A. by a highly educated dispensary owner experienced in treating addiction led me on my path to breaking dependency. After two trips to rehab, weed therapy was the only treatment that stuck with me. Round three was more symbolic, removing the corporate mask and finally becoming the real me full time, shifting into what we'd soon all be calling the cannabis industry. I became an advocate for safe act- uh, access and an act- uh, activist fighting for an equitable marketplace. I followed normal MPA and DPP on a national level, joined SCC, MCA and founded Indica on a local level. We knocked on doors uh, to fund the fight for legalization back when corporate America did not have time to listen to a bunch of dumb, lazy stoners. Seven short years later, them grassroots done dried all the way up. And newly released campaign finance records revealed 2022 adult use uh, legalization efforts in Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, and North and South Dakota raised nearly $20 million combined. Per the article, 19 of that, 95% came from sources identifiable as cannabis industry businesses. MJ Biz says the shift shows new priorities with existing medical companies pushing for limited license markets in adult use states. In contrast to past advocacy driven campaigns, merely asking voters to treat weed like alcohol. Do the 2022 election results foreshadow future legalization efforts in currently prohibitive states? MPP and DPA shifted gears into psychedelics and the decriminalization of other drugs. But with November midterms mixed result wins in Maryland and Missouri and losses in Arkansas and North and South Dakota, I think it's pretty clear industry-driven campaigns ain't going to work without including the voices and initiatives that matter most to the people that benefit most from the plant's power to heal, not potential for profit. While billion-dollar MSOs push for limited license markets, activists want justice reform, home-grow allowances, and social equity baked into these laws. One of my favorite critical industry voices right now is attorney and former Massachusetts state cannabis regulator Shailene Title. She's consistently speaking out on industrial overreach at, at the expense of the original legalization movement's social justice roots. In the article, in response to the campaign finance data drop, she said this, Voters care about the details of legalization bills and the market structure. When you have wannabe monopolists directly writing measures, the trend has been for them to propose market structures that are increasingly brazen and unserious. The lesson moving forward is we give up on the idea of buying or tricking voters into giving you a monopoly by funding a ballot initiative. And I agree. The reason I believe the industry will never succeed in its current format, why we continue to see record quarterly losses from multinational corporations whose models have dominated mainstream business is because cannabis is different. The movement began with the people. Racism pushed cannabis underground and capitalism pushed profit-driven opioids over plant-based medicine. After 100 years of prohibition telling us what we can and can't call medicine or put into our bodies because it don't fit with your narrative or follow your agenda, y'all really think that we're just going to roll over and and let y'all make the rules of this shit? No. It came from the people, generations of people, and it's going to continue going that way. So if if... You want to move forward with your rules. You have to incorporate the voices of the people who have done this generationally. It's just not going to work. And until then, the trap lives to see another day. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. I'd love to hear what the rest of the team has to say about this. Are we in a new era of corporate capitalist cannabis? Or is it going to be more of the same? The trap will never die. Well... I mean, I'm going to say the trap is never going to die because elected officials and politicians still aren't doing anything on a federal level to deschedule cannabis. And on local and state levels, all they keep doing is imposing more regulations and more taxes. Right. I really enjoyed your share, Rico. Thank you for the, the look into uh, who you are and what makes you you. And I like how you uh, mm-hmm. you, you paired that with your story. And, and, and I like the, the narrative throughput. Thanks, man. And uh the biggest thing here is the thing that I think we all keep hammering on. You know, it's like 
there's there's a real the thing that draws people to high quality cannabis is exactly that high quality. It's the quality of the flavor, the quality of the high, the quality of the production. And and these folks who thought they were going to widgetize cannabis and show us how it's going to be done are being taught one of the first lessons of cannabis, which is humility. And they're being yes. humbled to find out that there's something bigger going on than just some, you know, drugged out idiots, you know, running around spending a bunch of money on Louis Vuitton purses. You know, that's music videos and 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 hype you see on TV. That's not the reality. Their pockets are getting humbled, right, Matthew? <clears throat> yes, sir. And and but but I'd like to I'd like to I'd like to expand on that and say it doesn't matter where you came from. You don't have to ever have like sold a single eighth of weed to anybody to be involved and welcome in the cannabis and psychedelic communities. It's about how you navigate. Because really, when it comes right down to it, we're all from Earth. We're all one human family. We're never going to solve this problem of what the hell is going on on this planet as long as we continue to cut people into us versus them and pursue this dichotomy because it just makes enemies and it makes wars and it makes mm -hmm. factions. Yep. And so what I think we need to do as legacy cannabis actors is welcome these people into the space and, and, and help to guide them and stay active and stay involved and stay in their ear and stay pushing them towards a direction. And like for myself, I've integrated and, and, and worked with a lot of traditional business people and I haven't gotten them all high. I've gotten some of them high. I haven't gotten them all to smoke the DMT pen. I've gotten some of them to hit the pen. But what I have done is <laughs> have I've, you got any of them to dab DMT? Because that's the real experience. No. But what I have done is I've 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 been able to show people that there are people who use cannabis and psychedelics that are sober minded and intelligent and have a good sense of humor, are fairly well adjusted and that there's actually something in this world. And, and so I think that's the biggest thing is welcoming people into this legacy while at the same time protecting it so that we can all move forward in, in something that's more resembling wholeness and sorry if i'm rambling but i drank a lot of coffee again today no that's no very well we stated i agree with you i mean i think so many people that are really driving are very egocentric and they're 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 they have an elevated ego and i think they find it even hard to consume cannabis because it's a leveling it's an ego destroying yes. agent mm -hmm. like yep. mushrooms so you you take somebody who's just rocking on their personal ego and that's where they get their personal energy and then and then destroy their ego they don't like it and they don't really understand it i always feel like that's a that's a like a mark of a personality when people say well he doesn't like to smoke weed but that's okay you know when they're dating a new guy and i'll be like you know if he doesn't like to smoke weed that's a little bit of a red flag like <laughs> if you yeah, prefer yeah. to use yeah, alcohol or exactly. cocaine you're talking about somebody who's yeah got doesn't really have control of their ego yet. Um, we do have a uh, Dr. Felicia from the audience to yeah. say something on this. What do you have to say about this, Dr. Felicia? A uh, great um, story, Rico. Your treatment of it was amazing. Um, two things about what your question was: Will the trap live on? The trap will always live on. Cannabis has been around for thousands and thousands of years. No matter what the government tries to do, it will always be there. Number one. Number two. Uh, vertical integration is not the way to do this. Vertical integration should be a voluntary thing that businesses do, which they started to do, you know, in the late 1800s with uh, Carnegie Steel and today with Walmart, Target. They're they're trying to control all their supply points, but that's not that's not that's not necessary. That's that's. That should be a voluntary thing. We should, everybody should be able to get into this market wherever they want to get in, Whether it be a grower or dispenser, dispensary or processor. Everybody should be able to get in where they want to get in. This, this mandatory vertical integration is coming from deep pockets and the corporate MSOs. Lastly, when alcohol prohibition ended, it was because the people were saying, you know, you can't, you can't kill alcohol. You got bootleggers everywhere. People in their Gucci coast like Jason, you know, just flaunting alcohol everywhere despite the laws. And the people here are saying, we are not going to give up cannabis. And the politicians eventually heard them and finally did it. So the problem is what is going on with the politicians today? Why are they not listening to the people? We are already at that point where the public is demanding it be legalized. So Gretchen could probably answer that a lot more than we could. Why is Congress not listening? And I'm done speaking. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Felicia. Because Congress okay. listens to corporations, not the people. All right. Well, I while I appreciate your story, Rico, I think we're all missing the point of this story. The point of the story, and you all keep asking why no one's listening to the people. Put your money down, Jason, because we know you ain't going to do nothing with it. Um, <laughs> is that... All of the fundraising done in these adult use market campaigns came from business. It did not come from the advocates. It did not come from the people. So that's why the people are not going to get heard. 
That's why the interests of businesses are always going to be put forward first. That's why MSOs are going to succeed over the boutiques. If the people want to be a part of the discussion, they have to also be a part of the advocacy. And these groups are dropping off left and right because they can't raise the money anymore. That's Corporations the have hijacked the messaging. They've hijacked the messaging. They and it's, it's not, so I, 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 I have a question. Money. I have they a question. Money to spend. Go ahead, Dr. Felicia. Yes, well, somebody's yes, got to mute. Did. Yes, yes, yes. Corporations did hijack the process because yep. corporations are not people. The government yep. is there for the people, not for corporations. I, I, I don't you. know. Mitt, Mitt Romney told me that saying. told me that corporations are people. Well, what we're, what we're seeing is so so cannabis legalization or or you know the slow march towards regulation in in America is literally a class. It could be a college one on one class on capitalism, economics, and what happens when transnational, vertically integrated capitalism comes into any free market economy. And mm-hmm. what you see is these people who already have the biggest lever and the biggest stick trying to use that lever to leverage everyone else out. But what I would counter you with, Gretchen, is if we look at alcohol, if we look mm-hmm. at farm raised food. If we look at connoisseur grade tobacco, I know uh, my friend buys uh, tobacco, uh, pipe tobacco from a gentleman who grows two acres of tobacco every year and cures his own tobacco. I've seen this guy's house. He lives in North Carolina. He's got a wonderful spread. He's got four kids. He goes on vacations. The guy's able to completely navigate his life growing two acres of tobacco. And tobacco was never made illegal. And tobacco is controlled by R.J. Reynolds and these guys that are transnational corporations. But what they can't do with their transnational corporation widgetization is create a cannabis that actual connoisseur level smokers want to smoke. Now, what this means is you can survive creating quality connoisseur level products. I have a friend, a couple of friends who make wine. They make a few hundred cases of wine and they do great. They can go to Hawaii when they want. They're not millionaires. They're not creating generational wealth. But what they are doing is they're living a good life, creating a good product and a good vibe, and, and they are in demand. And I, I think that we're going to see that market do that forever. So, yes, the market's going to bifurcate into where it looks like the McDonald's of weed are controlling it. But when you start to look more and you, you want anything more than a 99-cent deal on a pre-roll, what you're going to find is a, a rich environment of people actually care about what they're doing. And I think I'm just going to keep hammering on the same thing. Quality will survive. Sure. Quality and of Matthew, product and navigation. I don't mm-hmm. ever. I don't think I've ever said that the boutique market is going to die. I think did. it's absolutely going to be that market there. Yeah. Um, I think for those who jump up and down and say that it's the only way, you're living in fantasy land. Well, that um, part is true. Question, uh, yeah, what I'm what I'm getting at uh, with the sto- <laughs> what I'm getting at with the story is um, the people who marched, the people who started the conversation, the people who actually wanted legalization to help people. Leaving their sentiments, leaving their arguments, their voices out of the conversation because you got clout and you got connections uh, to put this into law. All you're doing is pushing people back into the trap because we don't we already don't trust the people who write the laws. We already don't trust big pharma, big tobacco and big alcohol. That's why we get our shit from the trap. Right. If you want there to stop, uh, you want this friction to stop in between. Uh, uh, big corporate interests and uh, people on the ground just trying to make uh, make a way for their family, just trying to get medicine. You got to include the messages and the voices of the OGs that started this shit. That has to happen or you're going to continue to have quarterly loss after quarterly loss. I'm like, oh, yeah, we don't know why this is doing this. We don't here's, know why. Here's what I'm saying. You appropriated an entire industry straight up. Rico, that's, what we have, that's, that's, what that's not what I'm talking about. Years. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying if you want those voices to still be heard and for them to be a part of it, you need to say to MPP, DPA, this fight is not over. Don't move on to other drugs. Don't move on to psilocybin. They're the ones who are choosing to leave the industry behind because DPA they can't make the, the money. They're talking about psychedelics now. Was, oh, so, so Gretchen, you, you do have a good point in a lot of people in the illicit uh, cannabis economy having to move forward to cannabis. But also a lot of people are are moving into media, are moving into uh, art, are moving it back into business. But um, at the heart of this capitalist system that currently has us all by the balls, unless you want to live under a freeway overpass, you have to compromise yourself. And I think it's really important for folks like yourself who are very intelligent and understand this, and all of us in the conversation, we can't just start hammering at people's need to make money to survive because then it literally makes us all completely insincere. We are trapped in a system that is thousands of years old that is not of our making, and and there's there's nonviolent revolution and 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 hunger strike to death 
or there's violent revolution and, and being assassinated by the government, or there's a middle way where you compromise a little bit and you put some food on the table and you try to move the wheel yourself in, in your personal sphere through your navigation in your local community and politics and in greater politics if you have that ability. Yes, sir. And yes, that's sir. what I would pause. We got to keep on moving. All right. So up next, <laughs> speaking of, the spicy redheaded conservative with Mayflower roots and long form Ellis Island paperwork to back him up. Well-known in D.C. circles over the years for cooking up bipartisan excellence in the kitchen and slapping down liberal policies on K Street. Up next, you know who it is, the founder of Panoptic Strategies and Hyatt 9 News' very own Washington Insider, Gretchen Gilly. Thank you. Thank you. My only point is advocates need to do their jobs. My headline is, Kentucky Senate president open to medical marijuana on a limited basis with restrictions. This is coming from Kentucky Healthy... Kentucky Health News, uh, and this is kind of a follow-up to all we've been uh, harping on when it comes to Kentucky. Uh, State Senate President Robert Stivers suggested Monday night that he might be willing to approve medical marijuana in Kentucky on a very limited basis to relieve patients' pain at the end of their lives. But he cast fresh doubt on whether relief actually comes from cannabis or rather from the expectation that it will. He said, I am working with others to see how we could get to a yes to take care of those who are at their end of life. It was the first sign of compromise on the issue from Stivers, who has been the major obstacle to medical cannabis bills passed by the state house. He said, I've seen family members go through cancer treatments, and in no way do I want to be unsympathetic. Uh, after repeating his desire to see more research on it and making other points, he said the use of cannabis in palliative care can easily be defended under the old choice of evils principle of English common law. In such cases, I don't think you would ever be arrested. I don't think you would be convicted. A Manchester attorney, Stivers briefly noted without explanation, a National Geographic story published online January 6th, it cited a study that found 67% of the relief from pain reported by people treated with cannabinoids was also seen among those who received a placebo. This suggests that the pain reduction was not due primarily to compounds found in cannabis, but to people's expectations that it would help. And that positive expectation was based in part, says the authors, on over-enthusiastic media coverage. Reputable studies so far have not found that cannabinoids sufficiently reduce pain, which led the International Association for the Study of Pain in 2021 to decline to endorse these drugs. Even as he cast new doubts, Stiver suggested what a medical cannabis system could look like. He said that the state could require names of all owners of cannabis dispensaries to be public to prevent abuse and have a computer network to monitor cannabis prescriptions and how the drug is ingested, saying marijuana smoke has 50% more carcinogens than tobacco smoke. Last year, after the Senate again declined to take up the House bill that would have legalized medical marijuana, Stivers pushed through a bill for cannabis research at the University of Kentucky. There's indicators out there that certain things are helped, he said. Uh, let's research the issue. After last year's legislative session, Governor Andy Bashir named a group to study the issue, then used his pardon power in an executive order allowing people with a medical provider statement saying that they have at least 21 specified medical conditions to possess up to eight ounces of cannabis for medical purposes in Kentucky if bought legally in another state. Cannabis is not legal in Indiana and Tennessee, and the medical cannabis laws of Ohio and West Virginia do not apply to out-of-state residents. Missouri and Virginia have passed laws to legalize cannabis for recreational use, uh, but the Missouri law is not expected to take effect until at least February, and Virginia is not expected to have cannabis dispensaries until next year. That means Illinois is the only bordering state where Kentuckians can use Bashir's order. Bashir, Democrat seeking re-election, says the better alternative to Illinois would be passage of a medical cannabis law by Kentucky's Republican-controlled legislator, but leaders in the two chambers disagree on which one should deal with the legislation first. House leaders say it should start in the Senate since their chamber has passed it twice, but Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer of Georgetown says the House should go should still go first. Stivers did not give his opinion on that, it, on that point during the program, which touched on several legislative issues. Some Democratic House members want the legislature to offer voters a constitutional amendment on the issue, but Stiver said some of the UK research will be back before the constitutional amendment could even go to the ballot in November 2024. This is an excellent case study, Rico, to see if we can get these advocates out there and actually push for a medical law that makes sense. 
Um, I like that this guy is semi-willing to budge, although what he's using for research, I don't know where the hell he's come up with some of this stuff. Perhaps uh, Dr. Felicia or Dr. Mary can enlighten us. Um, either way, I, I, it's good to see some headway in Kentucky, um, but there's going to have to be some real advocacy push uh, to get this done. This is Gretchen Pry at 9 News. I mean, I mean, I, I don't I think... understand the persistent, you know, I... delay in getting medical cannabis available in all 50 states or putting such severe restrictions on its use. It's fundamentalist I mean, it's Christianity. It's so safe. It's fundamentalist Abrahamic religion. It's period. racism. <laughs> it, it's fundamentalist religion. Just continue to you, make it available to support. What do you think about his placebo uh, medicine argument that people are just mm. The placebo effect... Back. Yeah, the placebo effect has been shown in in trials in the last 10 years to actually overrule drug efficacy in a lot of cases. Um, our, our consciousness and our belief is really important, is really powerful. You know, that's why uh, the little I forgot the guy, the mouse's name, but he gave Dumbo the magic feather, you know, and then it turns out it wasn't the feather. It was Dumbo's belief in himself. Bam. But I, I had a quick aside about that. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're quoting a Disney movie of all of all things. Michael, why you mad, though, Jason, Jason, You don't understand. You don't get it. You don't get it, Jason. On. Is the teacher is the, the teacher is everywhere, Jason. The okay. teacher is everywhere. All we right. just have the to humble ourselves to be the student. Depends but on what they're teaching. Hold on, I have a, I have, I have a good, I, I have a, I have a, uh, uh, an aside as the the carcinogens, right? So as long ago as 1974, the DEA uh, and the NIH st uh, funded a study at the Medical College of Virginia, funded by Richard Nixon in his avid drug war to destroy the left, and they wanted to find evidence of of immune suppression or cancer. In, in, in cannabis users, right? And so instead what they found that the THA was slowing the growth of three kinds of cancer, lung, breast, and virus-induced leukemia. And then Nixon shut the whole project down right before he got he, he resigned and got booted out of office and Gerald Ford took over. So there's been clear proof of cannabis's efficacy with cancer. But now the thing that you get, and I learned this from Paul Stamets in his work with mushrooms and cancer, there are multiple types of cancer. So if you say breast cancer, there's actually like 50 kinds of breast cancer. Now, not only that, each one of us, there's there's an infinity of different DNA types. There's major genotypes in DNA. And so there's the type of cancer you get and your major genotype. And then there's a mushroom. Now, this mushroom is going to help for like 80% of the cancers with 70% of the genotypes because it's natural. And there's another mushroom that will help with some genotypes and not others and some cancers and not others. And it's the same with cannabis. Cannabis will help some people with pain reduction. It will help some people with, with tumor uh, lessening. And I've seen that happen with friends. Um, it, maybe it's just anecdotal, but at the same point, it depends on what your genotype is and what the type of cancer you have because it's a natural substance. Hey, um, uh, 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 Count, I do have to say, yeah, Dumbo was racist as fuck. <laughs> Them oh, crows are racist. Sorry. As fuck, oh, as all get out. <laughs> yeah, no, I can agree with that. I can yeah, agree the, with the, that. the new one is yeah, coming it's out. It's always hard. Yeah, the new ones are coming out to have because, because be he had big ears. The existing research and then saying that the research doesn't support that it controls pain because of exactly what was just said, that so much of the research was stopped when positive benefits were identified. Whereas if you were working for big pharma and you were trying to prove that the next up and coming antidepressant worked on depression, you limited or squelched the research that showed that it was no better than placebo and pushed the other research forward so that you could build a multi-million dollar empire, billion dollar empire. So I just don't trust so much of the research that's being touted as proof that this product doesn't work. And it's hard to imagine that it doesn't after working with so many people and talking to so many advocates within the industry to simply say that it's a placebo effect is just that dude needs to get high. I mean, I mean, the placebo effect is real. I'm, I'm a big believer in the placebo effect. If, if you don't mind, it don't matter. You know what I mean? But uh, we got We got to pay a quick bill. We're going to come right back. Flying into LAX and you want to taste some of the best weed in the world? Then stop by LAXCC, the closest dispensary to LAX, located at 8332 Lincoln Boulevard and open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. Always make LAXCC your first stop when you touch down in L.A. and score like a winner. And don't forget to tell them I sent you and mention like to get high at 9 for 10% off your full order.
The thoughts and opinions in general overall shade thrown on High Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker or its followers. The statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. Our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage. If you are easily offended person, the show is probably not for you. And maybe you should try the placebo effect. Maybe. At True Classic OG, we live by one motto. Stay true. We stay true to our legacy cut of True OG that's always fresh, piney, gassy, and delicious. We represent the spirit and hustle and diversity of our great city of angels, and we stay true to the spirit of this plant, doing everything in-house to ensure that you get the highest quality and consistency with every batch. And that's what made us LA's favorite OG. True Classic OG. Stay true, Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. This Wisconsin rooted Fresno based raptivist represents the strong black conservative voice. Mainstream media and Joe Biden do not want you to know exists. But I'll tell you what, the haters and race baiters will not block out the black side of liberty, perpetually exposing the man and the myths out there that we consume every single day. Coming to the stage next, and we're very, very happy to have him on video today, is my man himself. Nicholas Wildstar, what you got? All right, I did it. Can you hear me? Oh, <laughs> yeah, loud and clear, bro. Yeah, Wildstar in the building. What's up? Shit. <laughs> all right, y'all. Happy 2023, 2023 to all of y'all. Democrat Representative Bob Freeman filed the Free All Cannabis for Tennesseans or FACT Act initiating cannabis legalization in the state. We're leaving money on the table, he said. If you look at Arkansas that has medical only, they're projecting they made $25 million in tax revenue. Realistically, any bill approving um, recreational cannabis in Tennessee is unlikely to pass this year as most Republicans are animatedly against it. I am diametrically opposed and do not support it at all. Legaliz legalization of recreational use of marijuana or cannabis in the state of Tennessee. Senate Majority Leader and Republican Jack Johnson said, but medical cannabis is a different story. We have moved the needle in that regard in recent years, Johnson said. I'm certainly open to advancing that ball. He's one of several Republicans who have opened the door for at least some sort of cannabis reform in Tennessee. I'm convinced in talking to, to medical professionals that, that there is benefit for the use of these chemicals for certain people who suffer from certain type of ailments, Johnson said. Republican backing from a party leader like him is big for cannabis pundits, but other Republican leaders don't see it the same way. It still remains to be a Schedule One drug, which means it's against federal law to possess it, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally said. Now that it might change, but I'd still be opposed to the legalization of marijuana. McNally, who is a Republican and a, and a speaker of the Senate, pointed to the belief that cannabis is a gateway drug. Boo. People that want to use marijuana, they use it to relax or to re escape reality. And you can get into other drugs that also do that, he said. Pretty soon, you think you're taking Vicodin or Lortab? I'm glad he brought up pharmaceutical drugs. And you're taking fentanyl, and that's the end of you. Polls show that there is a broad bipartisan support for cannabis, yet there hasn't been ever been any true movement in the state. It's one of those things that if you do a poll, legalizing cannabis is extremely popular, Freeman said. The problem is that it's not on the top 10 for priorities. Essentially, he pointed out voters aren't willing to change their vote to a more cannabis-friendly candidate based on their willingness to legalize. And from my experience as one of those candidates, I can say without a doubt that is 100% true. 
Though Johnson signals support for medical, he also made the point that he wants input from law enforcement as well. I'm going to continue to listen to the medical experts, Johnson said, but I'm also going to listen to law enforcement and the people who are worried about ex expanding access and availability to this. Whether any legalization passes remains to be seen. For now, the session rolls on with mostly procedural mechanics until after Governor Bill Lee's inauguration on January 21st. Reporting with the High News Nine News Hour, <laughs> this is Nick Wildstar, aka the Governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace. And I'm out this bitch. Oh <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad that he that he's positioning um, himself in this way, saying that he's a supporter. It doesn't surprise me at all that he's hedging that at all by saying that he definitely wants law enforcement input at all. Um, but but the, and that is some growth, and that area definitely needs growth. What do you think, Gretchen? He's playing the game. I like Gret I like any any market that's moving towards uh, legalization. So I say you got to get things done. Go for it. I don't care. Now, what do we know, Nicholas? Do we know the chances of 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 this guy actually getting elected? Is there any poll data out there for him? Well, the governor has already been elected, the new governor. He's just going to be sworn into office on January 20th. Oh, got it, got it, got it, so got this it. Is, okay, I this missed is that now sorry. The state Senate that's uh, stepping up to the plate, I guess, um, their Congress is positioning themselves to move forward with uh, medicinal legalization in the state since he is, I guess, uh, supportive of it. I, I don't really know much about the new governor. Um, but that's what they're saying is pretty much because it's at, not at the top of people's priority list. Most likely that uh, cannabis legalization won't happen within the next uh, or within that governor's term, which is the I'll next four years or so. I'll, I'll tell well, you what, based, based off that. I'll go ahead, Gretchen. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say it may not be at the top of their priority list now, uh, but if Kentucky does start moving forward, I think it will absolutely help Tennessee along. Um, I think they're both going to push each other towards medical legalization uh, sooner than they realize. Based off of um, what Nicholas just, uh, that information Nicholas just provided, I smell a horse trade coming up and I smell some political posturing by this, by this, uh, by this member as maybe possibly a, a token to basically say, Hey, we're willing to work with you, but we're definitely going to want some concessions in regards to, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Yep, yep. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm down to play with this a little bit, but you know, I still want to have law enforcement's input on this, and, uh, and, and, but, but, but I'm willing to play. But at the same time, I'm going to want a lot of other stuff that you probably aren't going to be with. Right. Exactly. So you better, so you better put your hand in my pocket now. That's right. That's right. In that motherfucker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Typical song and dance political theater we're used to. You know, it's oh, going to drag I, on. I love you know. I love Kabuki theater, and I try to tell anyone mm -hmm. in poli anyone that doesn't understand politics yeah. that basically politics is America's telenovela. It, no, it really is. Um, yeah. Gretchen, so I got a yeah. question for you. Like, how much longer do you think the medical market is even going to be around? It's all going to be adult use. It's all going to be recreational because all use, cash. all use is medical use. The All right, other medical than, industry, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Yeah, the medical industry, because it's all going towards capitalism. At the end of the day, it's all going towards money. So it's all going to be adult use at some point. How, how much longer will these, quote unquote, medical markets exist on a state level? If, if you're asking for adult use on a federal level, I think you're at least five to 10 years out. I, I think medical is going to be around longer than you think. And mm -hmm. I think if Congress is willing to move, I think if Joe Biden moves and just reschedules, I think medical is going to be much more prominent than people realize. I think that adult use will be left up to the states. I think that's let the me way tell you. Let me, let me let me tell you something, Rico. Based off based off based off your your initial question. Yeah. If Joe Biden gets his way and pushes it to schedule three, all there will be is medical and it'll all be pharmaceutical grade and no plant medicine and the trap will live forever. And with that, 
We got to keep it moving because he's a cannabis wizard doing his damnedest to continue the work of the married pranksters and the brotherhood of eternal love alongside this Hogwarts PhD in tripping balls. This co-host of what's good, the cannabis flower and hash review show, as well as he's also a host of Radio Free Earth, boasting over 33 years in the game for sales, genetics, cultivation, and also, too, in a lifetime, because he is the immortal Transylvanian Count himself. That's right. Matthew St. Germain. Greetings, Brother Jason. Greetings, all. Uh, here's my story today from my friends, the Beard Brothers. Psilocybin and MDA, MDMA show promise for veterans' mental health, according to a VA report. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has continued to research the effect of psychedelics on veterans' mental health conditions. However, while these research efforts may speak of future promise, it's imperative for more studies to be conducted to address the gaps in preliminary research. A recent study conducted by the department revealed that psychedelics like psilocybin and MDMA could be beneficial treatments in treating depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. The study forms one of 38 key studies which back the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. This was according to a report published by the VA's own Evidence Synthesis Program. MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD improves symptoms, leads to short-term remission, and creates a promise for the treatment for psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy. According to the report, psilocybin therapy could potentially reduce heavy drinking and lower alcohol consumption in those suffering from alcohol use disorder. It is within these gaps that the department's research found some doubt. Oh, um, they, they're saying that there's some gaps in between uh, these reports. Despite promising results, researchers are doubting the idea, idea that psychedelic Ibogaine treatment by itself can effectively treat opioid-related withdrawal symptoms. They're also questioning whether or not treatment effects vary according to individual characteristics and disease severity. Researchers are also questioning whether or not treatment benefits are durable over long periods of time. At present, the Food and Drug Administration has designated psilocybin and MDMA as breakthrough therapies and has supported VA's ESP findings. Now, following an extensive study in therapeutic interventions involving psychedelic and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, these compounds are now seen as novel treatments for adults suffering from mental health and substance use disorders. Psychedelics, while still holding strong in their promise to be an optimal treatment, are still in the early phase of development, and unfortunately, many gaps in evidence still do exist. This means that while promising, confidence in research findings remains low currently. The evidence on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy has several important research questions that need an answering. Recommendations for future research pertain to the inclusion of veteran populations who suffer from combat-related trauma, the inclusion of more diverse populations to further gain clarity on treatment variability, the evaluation of implications of discontinuing mental health medications prior to undergoing psychedelic treatments. That one's pretty important. As well as the use of low-dose placebo instead of a zero-milligram placebo to improve the reporting of, blind, of blinding effectiveness. The National Institute of Mental Health also re released a notice of information providing researchers with sufficient guidance on the type of studies it, it would fund for the development of psychedelic drugs. At the same time, the VA is revising a policy on medical cannabis use by veterans. All this to show the promise of treatment for, for veterans can be possible if critical gaps in research are resolved and further studies are conducted. Uh, I'd like to add just a couple things here at the end. When it comes to MDMA, it's currently in its uh, third phase FDA clinical trials. The first two, it's passed swimmingly. Uh, after MDMA passes its third phase trial, which is for overall safety and efficacy, it's in a two to five year fast track to be um, prescription legal for at least psychologists and psychotherapists to use. Um, furthermore, I think that what we're going to see is that um, these these psychedelics, psilocybin, especially LSD, which hasn't been studied for the VA yet, they help with depatterning and they help to um, calm the limbic system and 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 deprogram PTSD responses. And even more importantly, if we can get a critical mass of Americans on uh, using these substances in some sort of ritual manner, I think we can start closing the military bases overseas and stop dropping in paratroopers to kill people to steal all their resources. And then maybe we don't have to treat people for their PTSD as much. St. Germain out for Thursday on the Hyatt nine news. Yeah, I know we're short on time. If we have uh, anybody want to uh, comment on that one. Well, I mean, the, the, these psychedelics and can, can you explain a little bit more the, the part you said, like, this is the important part. Can you explain why that is so important? When you were reading your article, oh shit! Uh, I just closed my. What was the oh. important part? That's that's what I was asking <laughs> you, bro. What was the important part? Like, I, uh, wanna, dang, I hold on, I'm right here. That. No, I'll, I'll skim back. I, I'm sorry. Shit. 
No, I do think the important part is the uh, is the is the oh. uh, additional additional data on how it's going to manage PTSD and people who are dealing with that chronic, very high level anxiety. I mean, I think the the broader idea here is that you know whenever you start with a new drug, you start with a particular diagnosis like. Um, PTSD in in war veterans, but then we recognize that upwards of 90% of people have PTSD from one or another experience in their life. So, um, so, you know, so so we'll start with war veterans, but then as we more comfort with the use of the products, we'll be able to say, well, this could even be people who like, uh, who were, who, who experienced something combat related, but aren't actually war veterans. They might've lived in a town where a bomb was dropped or something. And then we can expand it to people whose, you know, whose mother gave them uh, the smaller half of the cookie and gave their brother the bigger half. You know, we can just 100%. go yeah. all the way down. It, it, yeah, oh, so, so the, the, the important part was of a cookie. discontinuing mental health medications, especially SSRIs prior to undergoing psychedelic treatments. Number one is the SSRIs can actually blunt the effect completely because they block the chemical gateways in your brain. But mm-hmm. then number two is with uh, Ibogaine and ayahuasca, especially ayahuasca and uh, Ibogaine are both MAO inhibitors. And so there can be sickening and potentially deadly reactions between the SSRIs, certain food combinations and those psychedelic drugs. Dude, I could just listen to y'all for hours. Like, real talk. Cause I'm a nerd as fuck. I'm nerdy as fuck behind the scenes. But um, we got to keep it moving for our last story of the day. Coming from a New York City based 25 year board certified integrative medicine internist and two-time two-time best-selling author with Michigander Roots, also the CEO of Balanced Medicinals, doing the research and converting it to effective treatments and why, might you ask? Because we know y'all ain't gonna do that shit. When she's not treating patients with alternative (laughs) medicine, she can be found in front of her video camera cooking and walking the Upper West Side here to serve us up our daily dose of truth and closing us out for the day, it is Dr. Mary Clifton. Oh, thank you, Rico. It's apropos that you should introduce me today because I have a terrible connection. It's like I'm hanging out at your place. <laughs> so I apologize. But uh, but I've got a good article here. People living it's it's from Marijuana Moment, and uh, it's titled "People Living in States with Legal Marijuana Have Lower Rates of Alcohol Use Disorder," based on a federally funded twin study. So this study showed that people who live in states where recreational marijuana is legal experience lower rates of alcohol use disorder compared with those who live in states where cannabis remains illegal. Now, there's a lot of conclusions that they came to in this study. The researchers observed 240 pairs of twins in cases where one twin lived in a state that legalized marijuana and the other twin did not. When you're doing these uh, twin studies, you can, uh, you, you can uh, uh, assess a broad range of uh, outcomes and some of the social and genetic components of the, uh, of the uh, outcomes can be, uh, you know, uh, limited because you're doing these twins that have, that have matching genetics. Uh, they, and in this research, they found that uh, out of these 240 pairs, the overall alcohol consumption did not significantly differ between those living in states that were legalized and those where marijuana remained prohibited. The real conclusion here is that the vulnerabilities to cannabis use were not exacerbated by a legal cannabis environment. They didn't find any link between legalization and an increase in psychosocial disorders um, because it may be the case that adult use marijuana laws, this is interesting and, and it speaks, Jason, to your stiletto stoner, adult use marijuana laws increase consumption but among infrequent or casual users rather than those those who consume heavily, regardless of criminalization. So, you know, it, the legalization of cannabis just seems to make cannabis more available to those people who are going to use infrequently or lightly rather than the, the stiletto stoners, rather than mm-hmm. the uh, serious stoners that are consuming, uh, you know, most days or, or frequent or, or even more than once daily. So uh, it, not necessarily great news, but not necessarily bad news that this co-twin model uh, 
you know, which is a good model for controlling socialization and genetics uh, and also accounting for early cannabis use and alcohol use disorder. You know, these twins have been monitored their whole lives, uh, really didn't find that, uh, that the uh, recreational cannabis impacted substance use, day-to-day -day functioning, or uh, other vulnerabilities that you would have expected to see. And I'm Dr. Mary Clifton, living it up here in Manhattan. I'll give you guys a view of my universe. Look at them view with a really cloudy day. Yeah, Hatton men. Yeah, Hatton men in Manhattan. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's a good study. You know these twins? Did you guys ever watch that twin movie about how they how they got all these twins in research? Yeah, well, they, yeah, with um, uh, Danny DeVito. No, how did this happen? No, no, she's not talking yeah, about mean, twins. The movie. No, no, I think no. Rico and Jason should do a remake of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, agree. I agree. I'll have to get the name of it for you, but it was a bunch of twins that were brought into orphanages from like teen moms, and uh, mm -hmm. and they were, um, you know, way back when, like in the fifties and sixties, and they separated the twins. And even even uh, more recently than that, though, they but they but when the twins were adopted out, they weren't adopted out as twins; they were adopted out as uh, individuals, and so uh, nobody really knew that this practice was going on. And then and then the state of New York followed these twins and 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 did you know scientific experiments on them. So what kind of experiments. Uh, just, well, just monitored their lives because their genetics were identical, but their socialization was a little different. So they tried to see if they were behaving the same way or if there were certain characteristics that were consistent with them being genetically identical and not knowing about each other. But there was a movie made about it because there was a boy so who were, went to school. They basically had the feds following and watching like, them their every move all the time can you to imagine? compare each other yeah. to each other. It with without without yeah, their I, I, I mean, mean I can I, imagine I, that. I don't know who should have given consent, but it was kinda nuts. But one of the boys I don't think anyone had to give consent. Knew him. Back then I don't think well, anyone had to give consent, Dr. Mary. Oh <laughs> well let's, there let's, was let's, a set of who ended up finding each other. I mean <laughs> I mean this this, this sounds like a, like a like a like a Montel Williams special episode or something. Right oh, here. No. Oh no! It's, it's, it, we gotta close it out. <laughs> <laughs> run, run that commercial. Run that commercial, Adam. Dr. Mary, you said the twins are, were now triplets? <laughs> I'm confused. Split it again. Split yeah, it again. there we go. Thank you all for getting high at 9 with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our audience. Thank you so much for supporting us and tuning in daily and listening to the insanity and antics that is the developing cannabis industry. Thank you to so all the haters for talking about us and thinking about us so much. We have the most immaculate living facilities. And just by the way, that's always being stocked with the most amazing exotic uh, sodas and everything else like that. And you're always welcome to come and help yourself to any of our tasty snacks. Huge thank you to our sponsors, True Classic, LAXCC, DNA Genetics, and Wizard Trees with Burn and Rope for helping us keep the lights on. And thank you all to our correspondents for being absolutely amazing. And thank you to Cannabis for giving us a reason to do this thank you very much to cloud media partners house of fuego zaza simone holding us down in clubhouse and thank you all for helping making this space on a daily basis for y'all thank you for tuning in and getting high at nine with us it's america's number one daily cannabis news show